Thank you, Matt. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Just want to touch base real quickly. And um, Damon Vizi, uh, Don, and Patsy have done a really good job of keeping us updated. They were able to do the uh, tracheotomy on him yesterday to reteach him how to breathe so that he can breathe. Uh, if you've been on the drugs that he's been on, the paralytics to induce the coma, uh, it's quite natural then that they have to relearn how to breathe. And um, there hasn't been any fever. They could not have done that procedure had he had uh, tested positive for COVID. So he's, that's, he's overcome that. Uh, he is now in just the slow process of recovering and the lungs clearing up from the pneumonia. And so obviously, thank you for your updates. We continue to pray for him. And do you have anything to add to that? Don, nothing. Okay. Uh, if you did not hear that, he's stable and all of his signs are, are good. And so, uh, thank you, uh, Father. Thank you. Just, well, thank you. Um, I talked to Rick Dubeck this morning, and I'm sure most of you know Haley and Blake, but his oldest daughter, she's 22, Whitney, and she's been here uh, on several occasions. She had some abdominal pain this last week, and it was really debilitating. They had to take her to the hospital, weren't able to define anything, uh, and didn't know what was causing it. They, they're eliminating some things like kidney stones and, and gallbladder, but um, they had to take her again early this morning. They're there right now. Uh, she's just in an awful lot of pain, and they don't know they just don't know what's causing it. So um, obviously, uh, Rick, uh, Dubeck, keep them uh, in, in your prayers. Uh, Whitney is her name. And then uh, I don't know how many of you, if you're involved in Awana, you know Alden. Uh, and it's your great nephew, Marita, is that correct? Four years old. Um, he, he has been diagnosed this week, and I want to make sure that I say this right, with B-cell acute lympho blastic leukemia, B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia. He's at the Texas Children's Hospital in Houston. Uh, he's, got a, he's got a long, hard fight ahead of him. I, I think if the one thing that we do know is that this form of uh, leukemia, it's the most common, and there's been a lot of research on this. So uh, anyway, just to I don't know, like I said, if you serve here, you've been here and you've seen him, uh, he is quite a uh, sweet young man. And there was a picture posted on him. He's got, I guess, a hulk or something, yeah. And uh, obviously a cute young man. But that is just a very difficult thing to consider. Um, you know, obviously we need to uh, be in prayer uh, for uh, him, the family, and then even our president. Um, we live in contentious times and uh, an election year. Uh, he and his wife obviously came down, if you're not aware of that. Um, and so uh, the president, our country, we need to just, you know, we're, I think the greatest tool, if you want to call it a tool, it certainly would be a gift, uh, weapon that we have is, is prayer. And we have that. We have access to that. And the scripture has a great deal to say about prayer. One of the things that Paul tells us is that we ought to pray without ceasing. And the Lord taught us how to pray. And so the Spirit 
intercedes for us sometimes and we don't know what to say. And so I just encourage us. And I, well, we, if there's ever a time that we needed to be in prayer, um, I think it is daily and regularly. So much to pray for. Uh, again, Matt, thank you for that passage, reading that passage out of Ephesians. I'm going to read just a, you don't need to turn there. You certainly can if you'd like to. But the 33rd Psalm, Psalm 33, uh, Psalm 33. I, I like this. It's an encouraging word for me. Um, in verse 6 in that 33rd Psalm, it reads, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. You know, God has given us, this is my favorite time of the year, God has given us some beautiful fall weather. And you look out, we were at a football game in Normandy uh, Friday night, and you can see that harvest moon out there, absolutely gorgeous. And I couldn't help but think of this passage. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord, and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Uh, for he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. And here it is, church, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. That would be you and I, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, the nation, his bride, his people, his children. Now go with me to back to Ephesians chapter 3 for this morning's lesson. Thank you, Matt, for reading that. I want to focus this morning. Um, I do a Wednesday night Bible study. We do it at JMF where Mark Stasny's offices are. Uh, we have several men and uh, even some of the young uh, young men attend that. It's a blessing we meet every Wednesday morning. We've been in a study of Ephesians, and uh, we're up to the third chapter in Ephesians. And really, it, it was, uh, I believe, uh, this. God put this on my heart uh, really more than a week ago. I was actually studying, preparing for this last Wednesday. But one of the verses, or the verse that I want us to focus in this morning, is verse 13 of that chapter 3. And I'm going to reread that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. Therefore, therefore, he's made a statement, made several statements, and then this is the conclusion, or this is the, the and to, or the therefore, or in addition, or this is what you need to know about everything I just said. Therefore, I ask you, the church in Ephesus, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. So um, during my education process, um, there were two things that uh, we were asked to do that never, it was uh, the entire four-year process uh, that we never departed for in the College of Biblical Studies. There were two things. You might have uh, any number of studies in that process. Uh, you might be studying the wisdom literature for a semester, general epistles, so on and so forth. But in uh, the a continuum, 
uh, that was common in all the classes in relationship to whatever it was we were studying, um, we were asked to do two things. The first thing was to uh, always find a gospel statement, whatever we were studying. There is a gospel statement, more than one, most of the time, but you can find a gospel statement in every book of the Bible, even Jude, <laughs> in 25 verses of Jude. There is a gospel statement. There is a gospel statement. You, not, it may not be obvious. Maybe you just are reading it and you, you can just miss it, but there's a gospel statement. So in Ephesians, uh, just to, to give here's just one. There's several in Ephesians, but in chapter 2 and verse 13, um, he, he talks, well, read verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And remember if he started the second chapter with, uh, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And it's that great passage about the way God saves in Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10. But now he said, so remember you were separate, and then here's the gospel. This is a gospel verse. And they're throughout the entire Bible. And I'm going to get back to that in a second. But verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are formerly, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's a gospel statement. That is a gospel statement. Okay? There, if you go Genesis through Revelation, you'll find those. So for four years, we had to, and this is the help, this is really beneficial. If you will take in your study of scripture, as you read that scripture, and I like what Matt said, you know, sometimes he reads it and it takes God, it's got to reverberate, you know, it's got to speak to him and, and it does. Uh, but in your study of scripture, as you're going through scripture, look for the gospel statements, number one. Number two, that has to do with this statement this morning, is look for the rare gems, the rare gems. Uh, I've heard a preacher recently call them the flyover verses. And I guess in reference, we live in a country now where we have in the Midwest, uh, they call them flyover states from California to New York. But these are flyover verses. We were told they were rare gems. Those places in scripture that you're reading and, you know, you, you certainly, when you go to the book of Ephesians, what prominently sticks out? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. For you were saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, lest no man boast. That's a well-known, well-read verse. It just, if you go to Ephesians, you got to think of that. The spiritual armor verses. Put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians, that's what they're known for. So this morning, though, there's a verse. It's one of those rare gems. And if you'll study the Bible, you start in Genesis through Revelation. You want the harmony of Scripture the, the systematic theology, the harmony of Scripture, as Scripture is blended together, uh, if, you'll, if you'll stay, okay, I, that's a gospel statement, and that is a rare gem. That's a gem right there. It's maybe like a flyover. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily have paid any attention to that, but you will, they just begin to emanate from Scripture, and it will, in the doing, you will automatically, it's, uh, I guess almost like data processing, uh, or you could just, as you're researching and going through something, you see the system of Scripture, the harmony of Scripture, and all of a sudden, this great mosaic comes out of Scripture, and you can, st oh, I, that verse, 
And that verse, and oh, David wrote this in the Psalms, and now Jesus is repeating it, or the Apostle Paul, and this theme and that doctrine. And you see that, this is one of these verses we're going to look at this morning. In chapter 3, verse 13, you're just reading. He's covered a lot of stuff. And then just out of nowhere, chapter 3, 13, I'm going to reread it again. Therefore, I ask you, the church in Ephesus, that these Christians not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Now, this is a gem. Scripture does a lot of stuff. Scripture encourages us. Scripture challenges us. Uh, it should. When we read the Scripture, Scripture can be brutally honest. Brutally honest. Um, and, and it can be very kind. And it can be very humbling. Um, and we can find inspiration, but we can also, it can shame us. It can shame us. It can break our heart. It can uh, challenge things that, where we need challenging. This verse right here, I want you to consider where it sits, the value in it, and then the challenge and the encouragement that comes out of it for you and I. So, book of Ephesians. Paul's a prisoner. He's a prisoner. He's an old man now. And uh, he writes the Ephesians. And if you read chapter 18 through chapter 20 in the book of Acts, you can see his unique relationship. He had, an, he had a unique relationship. He spent uh, up to three years with the Ephesians. You can study Ephesus. You can study all that. But he had a relationship with these folks and a daily relationship with them. There wasn't the distractions that we had today. If you, if you knew Paul 2,000 years ago and you lived in Ephesus, you would have known one thing, what mattered to Paul. And what mattered to Paul was God's word, his relationship with Jesus Christ, personally, through God's word, personally and spiritually, and then the importance of that to all of humanity. That's, you, wouldn't, you might not have known, you may have known, we all know each other on the basis of something. They're a farmer. They're a rancher. They've been married 50 years. I don't know. They've got a large family. I don't know. Maybe their history is not a good. We know those things. Let me tell you what you've known about Paul. This man, you know exactly what he stood for. You know exactly why he stood for it. You knew what he was passionate about. And you knew the very daily breath of the existence of his life. He was motivated by one thing and only one thing. And it is the verse for me personally. You can read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's who Paul was. Now he's a prisoner. And he writes to the Ephesians. Now in this handout, this one verse, I just said, I'm just going to focus on this verse. The very start of this verse, he uses the word therefore. Therefore. He starts in response to what? If you were to back up and you started reading, I want you to go to chapter 1 of Ephesians. The whole book is based upon a rare gem verse. The entire book, this will change the way you study Ephesians. If you, it, sometimes we just fly over the introductions. But chapter 1, verse 3, Paul lays the foundation for the entire emphasis of every, all the heavy, powerful doctrine that he addresses, he lays it in verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now read that again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. One of the most confusing doctrines in all of Scripture is the, the doctrine of blessings. Blessings. Now you may, we live in a world where a prosperity gospel is being preached. It's not a new thing. Paul had to deal with it. He wrote about it in Philippians. He said there are some that preach gospel, the gospel for financial gain. So this is not a new thing. Preachers have been preaching out of God's word for a millennia now, trying to inspire people to believe in a God who is like, a, a, you know, he's like really a puppet. He's our personal puppet. That if you learn a formula for something, usually it has to do with your faith, that you just become like a, a magician and God's your you know, puppet. And if you can just learn a few verses, you're just going to be blessed. That's really what the prosperity gospel is. It's deceptive. It's, it's unbiblical. And it's not, there's no real foundation other than a false foundation in a misuse of scripture. To entice people to into a relationship with God, believing we can manipulate God through a series of uh, uh, obedience uh, and then what appears to be my faith and now God's going to bless me. I'm going to get the stuff and then I can quote close to 100 verses that would seem to support that. It's called the prosperity gospel. And so the word that has been butchered and misapplied and really I would say demonized is the word blessing. Blessing. What would you consider a blessing? Well, I don't know, money in the bank, good health, um, you know, victory over the disease. Uh, you could just put your, the promotion at work. I don't know. But he says that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is what the book of Ephesians is about. If you ever just wanted to do a study on what God determines is a blessing, and not just a blessing, but every blessing, every blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, this is the book. If you'll just start your study there, you could just say, okay, you really want to know what real blessing is? a spiritual blessing from the heavenly places, then he immediately starts to do it. And I'm not going to recap it. I want to challenge you to do it. He just starts, here's the first one. Here's the first spiritual blessing from the heavenly places that manifests itself here is that, verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That'd be number one. That'd be spiritual blessing number one in the heavenly place. Uh, he predestined us, verse 5, uh, 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 to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Verse 4, before him in love. Verse 5, the kind intention of his will. I mean, he just, you just, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now, that's where the list starts, and he never moves away from that list. Through the end of the book, the entire book is the definitive biblical list about you want to know, you, you can, well, what, how does God bless us? I just go here. I don't really have to go anywhere else. And I can be here and connect every one of these verses to 
all the verses throughout Scripture based upon right here. The book of Ephesians is about every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's what it is. So the therefore has to do with that. I'm talking to you about every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, therefore. Now it's gonna, there's going to be an application. Now the next thing, he says, I ask. I ask. Back to verse 13. Therefore, I ask. Now, here's the great thing about the time of Christ. If you, if you study history and if you t study languages, uh, the New Testament is written in what's called Koine Greek, which was a common Greek, just a common Greek, not classic, common. And if you'll just study, you could study any language. You could study Latin, English, German, French. Uh, and if you, if, you, if you do a study in the history of linguists, you couldn't have had a more perfect language for the Bible to be written in. Because the way the Greek was written, it, it's far more definitive in the way it's written and really user-friendly than any other language. It really is. So let me give an example. So you can take a verse like this and you say, I ask. Now, when you say, I ask, because of the language, there's something we can know. How is he asking? Is he asking in a superior, from a position of superiority? I'm going to ask you. I'm your boss. I'm your mom and dad. I need, I'm going to ask, you need to do this. Or is he asking as a servant, a humble servant? Well, what we know is, he is asking from the position of a servant, which applies to everything that Paul says about leadership and being a servant in Christ. And you could go to Philippians in chapter 2, it's a hymn. And he says, uh, you know, have this same attitude that was evident in Christ Jesus, that although he existed in the form of God, did not consider that something to be grasped, but humbled himself to the point of a slave, became obedient to the point. Of death. So this, therefore, I ask, he is asking as a servant. And then he says, if you look at this verse, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Now, you got to catch this. Spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. If you read the book of Ephesians and you took out a highlighter pen and you just started highlighting every personal pronoun, he, him, his, himself, I, me, you, us. Nowhere in the entire Bible is the use of personal pronouns so condensed. You just do it. You just start, okay, he, he chose, before him, he predestined us, he freely, his grace, he lavished, his blood, he made, his will, he purposed. Oh, you just go on and on and on. Now, chapter one, he's talking a whole lot about he and him and his. What God did through, he, the father, did through his son, it, it, that's what he did. So chapter 2, though, he shifts gears. Verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly, so, and then you go down to verse 3, among them, we too all formerly lived, so he shifts gears. Chapter 1, the primary personal pronouns are he and him and himself. Chapter 2, the primary personality, uh, uh, pro personal pronouns are are you, you and we. Now chapter three, doing this for the speed process here, 
He shifts, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, he's for the sake of you Gentiles. If you, indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me. Now he shifts gears. So chapter one, he, him, and his self. Chapter two, you, we. Chapter one, I, me. I, me. Now there's a beautiful thing that unfolds there. And it has to do with the spiritual blessings. And it's a challenge for you and I as a church. When you read this in, in, in its spiritual inspiration, what you begin to learn about every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is first it begins with what God did for us through Jesus Christ. And then the second thing is, and we didn't, we didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We were, we were, uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We were sons of disobedience. Uh, we used to live formerly, we lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, so you see, he, through his son, Jesus Christ, he predestined us, he, he adopted us, he, and you and I, we're dead. And so then the third chapter is, church, and this is a way you should measure your own personal life. So what should I do? And that's what Paul says. He through his son Jesus, did all these wonderful spiritually blessing things for me, even though I didn't deserve it. And so you know what? I see my life through that lens now. It changes the way. Now I see. So for this reason, verse 3, I, for this reason, man, what a reason to live, huh? What, if, what did you tell your children? Well, God did this for me. This is who I used to be. And so for this reason, I do whatever I do. Think about that. That's an impact statement. And now we go back to that then, that this, this verse, this 3.13, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart. There's heart. I'm not going to read. I gave them to you. You can just look at them. You could preach, a preacher could preach two years on just the verse, what the Bible teaches about the heart. I would just, as you read them, you would notice that uh, God looks at the heart, 1 Samuel 16 and 7. He looks at the heart. Um, Paul writes in that 51st Psalm, created me a clean heart. The sacrifices of verse 51, chapter 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Proverbs 4.13, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the wellsprings of life. And then in Jeremiah 17, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Paul, or in Matthew, Jesus repeats that theme. But then in Romans 10, for with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. 
It's a great lesson about the heart. And by the way, you won't see. Uh, it's with your heart that you believe. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses told the children of Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your soul. But it's with the heart we believe. On, uh, in the book of Acts, Peter preaches, day of Pentecost, he ends the sermon, men of Israel, be sure one thing, this Jesus of Nazareth, you crucified him. And what was the response? They were pierced to the heart. With the heart we believe. Now, so he's telling them, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in my tribulations. I asked the kids this morning, and we had a great men's breakfast yesterday. We had over 20 uh, men there. and we, we talked about our trials in life. One of the things that I, it troubles me with the body of Christ is a lack of closeness. A lack of closeness. Everybody's so busy. And church just becomes... Um, part of what we do and we go in and out of our lives I learned more in 30 minutes about our men yesterday than I have in three years because I asked them based upon this verse to share your tribulations your trials and the men were so honest and uh, I, I wish if, if you go to the second chapter of the book of Acts and the church was established on that day of Pentecost through the preaching of Peter. And you get to the end of that chapter, it said something wonderful happened. The church met together daily and they had all things in common. And they shared all things. We live in such a convoluted world. Everybody, we're working, we're working a lot of hours and and then we have our families and we have so many distractions. And then church becomes something and it's related more to maybe if I like the preacher and his preaching or the worship, you know. If I, I hear it with so many people say, you know, it's still not here. But say, you know, I, boy, the, the music really moves. I say, man, I, you know, I just don't, it's a ton. we're just so, by the way, Wednesday morning, going to our Bible study. Listen to Dr. Tony Evans. Uh, Don Vesey met me here. We're driving to Mark's. And Dr. Tony Evans was, and he started his sermon. He said, people come to the church to receive what the preacher is going to give them. When God is in church, he's here to, to receive something from you and I. Think about that. The mentality of the 21st century Christian in church is I come to church, uh, how am I moved? What am I receiving? And the mentality should be that we're in the presence of God. And what is he receiving? Pretty challenging thought, huh? But tribulations. You can read about Paul's tribulations. We read them yesterday morning. You go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Man, he was beaten, shipwrecked, dangers from Every corner of his life. You go to Romans chapter 7 and he talks about his personal tribulation. 
Why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? The good that I would do, I find that I cannot do. I find that the principle of evil dwells with me, the one who wishes to do good. Oh, wretched man that I am. He would call himself the chief of all sinners at one point. He said, I'm the chief of all sinners. So Paul's tribulation was with his own personal spiritual struggle and with everything else that was happening around him. And he says, I don't want you to lose heart at my tribulations. Church, I wish we knew each other's tribulations better. Because I'm going to tell you why Paul's doctrine meant so much to the Ephesians. Because of their shared tribulations. Satan, in the role of spiritual warfare, he wants you and I to be as separate, as far removed from each other as we possibly can. He wants us to be divided at war with one another. He wants us gossiping about one another. He wants us uh, thinking about, well, our failings. Well, he didn't do that. Well, she didn't do that. Well, that's what he wants. You know what God wants for you and I? This is what he wants from you and I. Oh, my. My sister and my brother, they're going through something. They may be even going through something I don't know anything about. And I shouldn't stand in judgment of my brother and my sister. I shouldn't be at war with them. I shouldn't be looking at my sister and brother and seeing a flaw in them that I, you know, so I'm not getting something that I think I should be getting from them. I don't know what's, you know what? It's a tragedy. Most of us don't really know what's going on in each other's lives. And we're so, we just have this veneer, don't we? Wouldn't it be better if we knew about each other's tribulations? Really, wouldn't it? Because that's what Paul is saying here. And then I'm going to finish here because there's, this is then the challenge. It's the challenge. He loved these people and they loved him. And his doctrine, all the great doctrine that he taught them, it really resonated in their life because of the tribulations they shared with one another. Now, let me just say this. Doctrine is going to stand whether you're aware of somebody's tribulation or not. God's word, his counsel is everlasting. It does not fail. And there are great stories in the Bible where Philip, uh, God sends him on a Gaza road there in the book of Acts to an Ethiopian eunuch who he'd never met. And he's just reading from the book of Isaiah. And he says, who is this man speaking of himself or somewhere else? And Philip got up in the chariot and he said, he preached Jesus. That happens. But the majority of Bible, of, the, of God's, the story of God's people and God's word, is God's people being together, living together in community, called to live together in community sharing in our tribulations, growing in our compassion for one another. And then the doctrine matters. Then the doctrine matters. And here's where we finish. This may be the most important part of this. I don't want you to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf. On your behalf. I've asked the kids, Wednesday night, Wednesday at Zim, and then we, and you should, and I should ask ourselves, how much of your life 
are you living on behalf of someone else? When you're young, it's almost impossible. I mean, it's not completely impossible, but you really probably don't know what it is to start living on behalf of someone else till you get married. Then you have children. You have a job that now, because you've got to pay bills, you've got to feed your children, and you want to. So now I'm not living on behalf of myself. I'm starting to live on behalf of someone else. So how much of your life do you live on behalf of someone else? Spiritual warfare. How much of your life does Satan want you to live on behalf of someone else? How much does God want you to live your life on behalf of someone else? How much are you living your life on behalf of someone else? There's so many analogies and so many applications here. When I was a young man, I used to love to watch. I love sports. I just have no use for them anymore. I really don't. But I did. I loved it. Spent a lot of time. And I used to love, when I was a young man, those great icons. In, uh, uh, you know, some of you are old enough to remember the young ones don't, who Muhammad Ali is. And Muhammad Ali, he would just talk that trash. And he used to say, I'm the greatest of all time. I'm the greatest of all time. I thought that was so, man, look at that guy. That's kind of funny. I remember Billy White Shoes Johnson. And he wore white shoes and played for the Oilies. And he'd dance out there. And Deion Sanders, he'd pick the ball. He'd go in the end zone. And I used to think, that's just really kind of cool. They were, they were living on behalf of themselves for their glory. That's not cool. Jesus lived on your behalf and my behalf. Now, you ready for this? For your glory. That's what Paul's saying here. We're here to glorify God. But when I start to live... Not just out of a sense of responsibility, but I live on behalf of someone. You want a strong marriage? Quit living on your behalf. Live on your spouse's behalf for their glory, not your glory. Read the fruits of the Spirit and the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5. You know what the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5 are? Oh, listen. You want to see what living on behalf of yourself is? Enmities. No, here they are. Now, the deeds of the flesh, and by the way, if you're living by the flesh, you're living on your behalf for your glory. You're living on your behalf for your glory. That's where Satan wants you to live. And so the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, and sensuality. All those are sexual sins. And, and, and they're all based upon what am I going to get sexually on my behalf for my glory. They really are. And then listen to this. Idolatry. Why would sorcery? We turn to the demonic because we believe it's another way to get something from me. How else could you do that? I mean, what, I mean idolatry. Idol, being, I, this is for me. This brings glory to me. Sorcery is for me. Even in its evil, it's for me. Look at the story of, of Saul in the Old Testament. He turned to sorcery and witchcraft. As he was losing his kingdom. I could go on and on. But now look, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy. You know what? When we're living on behalf of ourselves, we're easily offended. Oh my God. We're living on behalf of ourselves. What are the factions and the dissensions? Where does it come from? Is it, oh, my feelings have been hurt. Oh, I cannot believe somebody did that to me. 
Paul wrote to the Corinthians that love doesn't hold a record of wrongs. But if I'm living on behalf of myself for my glory, I've got a list a mile long and I can name it. It's not on your behalf for your glory. This is what we do. It's selfish. It's always angry. There's always division. I had a great professor said there's three types of people in every church. There are people on the basis of this rare gem that are living on their behalf for their glory. Just go to Luke 18. Romans 10, Luke 18, there's a Pharisee who went to the temple and he said, God, thank you for not making me like other people, like other people, as I'm obedient. In the temple, he was, I tithe 10% of everything I get. He was making a statement in a case to God in what appeared to be a sentiment of gratitude towards God. Look at me. I live on behalf, even though I'll thank you for it, to my glory. Romans 10, Paul says, my prayers for the Jews, they have a passion for God, but it's not in accordance with righteousness. They're trying to establish their own. And so this professor said in every church, there's going to be churches, every church, there's people that are living on their behalf for their glory. Then there's going to be people that are living on behalf of others for their glory and God receiving the glory. And every church is full of those silent people. You won't see drama around them. You won't see dissension. You won't see division. You won't see back. You won't. You just, they just show up. You can see it. And then there's everybody. What? What? He said, then there's everybody. Caught right in the middle. Because there's times in my spiritual walk, I'm living on my behalf for my glory. There's times that I'm living on behalf of somebody else wanting them to receive and ultimately know. And I'm just struggling right there in between. So it's all of us. And so I just want you, as you let this rare gem emanate in your life, look at yourself. Look at yourself when you read this passage. Ask yourself. Ask yourself. Aubrey, what... In my Christianity, the therefore in my life, because of everything he's done for me, every spiritual blessing, in spite of who I was, and the gift that he's given me to serve, Aubrey, church, am I living on behalf of someone else for their glory, or am I living on my behalf for my glory? Jesus Christ said that he did not come to be served, but to serve. I didn't get to these verses this morning. You should read them. John 13, verses 1 through 15, Mark 20. His motivation was always to honor his father, and he did it by serving even to the point of death. And he would say, I didn't come to be served came to serve and I asked these kids I said kids let me ask you something it's hard to live your life at a young age to live your life on behalf of someone else to their glory but I did I shared I said two things you can do number one you can pray we can always pray the second thing when your mom and dad ask you to do something just do it on behalf of them. 
to glorify what God has done in their life to give you a home and love and bring you to church and feed you. You can start that at this age. Church, what about you and I? What about you and I? And the answer to that question is right there. Everything he did was on behalf of you and I. And we would receive God's glory in that. And God would be glorified in that. It's a rare gem, isn't it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I cannot imagine, I really, truly cannot imagine just as the Gospel of John teaches. Your son, on the night that he was betrayed, getting on his hands and his feet and washing the hands of godless men, washing the feet of godless men, I cannot imagine. I truly cannot imagine on the night of his betrayal that my Savior and your son would get on his hands and knees and wash the feet of godless men. Every one of those men would flee and run from him in his hour of need. He did it on their behalf, glorifying them. Father, I hope and pray that you create that kind of spirit in each and every one of us. Rip anything out of our lives that keeps us from doing that so that we can live on the behalf of others and you to your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.